Hi, and welcome to the Injury Report. This is Dr. Catherine Logan, sports surgeon in Denver, Colorado. I'm here today with my teammate, Alex Becker, who is an ATC and surgical assist, as well as Bridget von Boxtel, um, PA and ATC. Today, we're interviewing Hannah Huseman. She is a mental skills coach for the Philadelphia Phillies. Hannah's going to talk to us about the day-to-day life of being a mental skills coach in the setting of professional baseball. In addition to that, she's going to talk about the path she took to get there. Um, she's a former college athlete, and she employs those skills in her day-to-day activities, trying to get these athletes back to their performance, whether they've sustained an injury or they're just overcoming some sort of mental block or hurdle. I found her interview really interesting. I certainly learned a lot, and um, I hope you enjoy. Thanks. Okay. Um, Hi, I am Hannah Huseman. I am a mental skills coach for the Philadelphia Phillies baseball team. Um, I work with predominantly seven of our teams. A lot of people don't know, but we we have the big league team, and then we have about eight or nine minor league teams all the way down to the Dominican Republic. Um, But I got my master's degree in sports psychology and motor behavior, which is a really, really fancy way of just saying how the mind and the body work together to produce optimal performance. So I work with guys on a regular basis, day-to-day basis in one-on-one settings and also group settings and also working on coach education and staff education, making sure we are providing our athletes and players with the best possible holistic forms because we know they're getting everything they need physically. And so my job is to make sure we're taking care of them mentally and making sure the mental aspects of their game are covered. Okay. So you started out, um, so before you went to graduate school, what did you do in undergrad? So in undergrad, I went to the University of Tennessee, Chattanooga, and I played softball there. It's a small division one school. And my undergrad was in exercise science. So like my whole life, I knew, like I played sports my whole life and I knew I wanted to somehow stay involved in sport. And I really didn't know how or what that was going to look like. Um, So with exercise science as my undergrad, it was a little bit of strength and conditioning, potentially go into athletic training, maybe just be a coach. And, you know, it was kind of toying in all of those directions and actually did an internship in um, athletic training and in um, personal training. And still just like nothing was like hitting home. Nothing was like really firing me up. And then I actually took a sports psychology, like 101 intro to sports psych class my senior year. And I was like, what is this? And why have I never heard of this before? And why didn't I hear this four years ago, you know, when I was a freshman in college instead of on my way out. So after that point, I was like, I want to know anything and everything I can know about sports psychology and, and hopefully help athletes get this when I know I'd never had it or wasn't even close to having it, even though it was starting to become a thing so were you like while you were still a college athlete did you get to apply any of these principles or it was really just too late it was honestly it was too late it was like the last semester um so I tried I was a senior we um we didn't make our tournament our entire like my entire four years and then my senior year we made it so I like to think there's a little bit of that but I think that may (laughs) just be like my motivational tendencies and kind of just always have been a leader, um, on my team, but no, I really didn't get to like implement a lot of it, um, because it was just really basic stuff. But looking back, like there are so many things I wish I could have tried and done and worked on instead of just, you know, sitting hours in the cages, just hitting, hitting, hitting. So I didn't get to implement a lot of it, unfortunately. (laughs) 
Okay, so then you went on to grad school, and then what was it like in grad school? Were there a lot of different paths or sort of subspecialties that you could do, or how was it designed? Yeah, so it's actually really cool, um, and I think that's a great question because not a lot of people ask these questions. Um, but we, <laughs> so basically people in our field came from, like, one of two different directions, right? Or, or maybe even three. It was an exercise science background like I did or a psychology background and even, like, a sport management background. Okay. And so it was really cool how they kind of catered our grad school towards what you needed. So I needed more psychology classes and counseling classes since my undergrad. I had already taken the kines, the biomechanics, the physiology, all of those. So in my grad school, like, it was it was the same. We all took the same core sports psychology classes and motor behavior classes, but then I was taking, like, counseling skills and um, high-up psychology skills and grad-level um, different kinds of, you know, psychopathologies, all kinds of psychology classes to make sure I was getting all of the psych needs, whereas people who came in with psych undergrad, they were having to take, you know, biomechanics and physio sciences and all of that good stuff so and then the sport management kind of had to take a little bit of both so some people had longer routes some people had shorter routes but you basically had the main coursework of sports psych and then kind of whatever you didn't have in your undergrad so it was neat and it's a two-year program um, and then they also have you do internships so I did two different internships um one was with the International Junior Golf Academy in Hilton Head South Carolina which is so cool because I never played golf And so I was teaching them the mental game and they were teaching me the actual game. So I actually love golf now and it's so fun and so challenging both mentally and physically. And then um, I did an internship with the Pittsburgh Pirates baseball team as soon as I graduated. So that was kind of my first step out into the real world post-graduation. Okay. And what, what did you do at the Pirates? So I was a, I think my title was mental conditioning intern. So they actually had a team of three full-time staff members. And like I said, uh, a lot of people don't know, you know, the Major League Baseball is not just Major League Baseball. There's a whole minor league baseball. And so they had, you know, eight or nine teams. And so those three were traveling constantly. And um, everybody has a base in their spring training. And so their spring training, Pirate City, was in Clearwater, Florida, or in Bradenton, Florida, excuse me. And so I was located in Bradenton. So I actually dealt with all of our rehab players there and the kind of lower level GCL, we call them the Gulf Coast League teams. Um, They had one team there. And so I was kind of at the home base where everybody kind of comes back to and visits and, and where everybody starts their career typically, whether you're a high school draft or a college draft, that's kind of where you start. And then that's where obviously we host spring training. Okay. So what kind of things did you notice right away that you're like, Oh, I really like this field and I want to stay in it. Yeah, I think it was honestly the nuances of it all, right? It's like, because it's kind of like we're the new kid on the block, right? Like eventually, like at some point, athletic training was the new kid on the block. At some point, strength and conditioning, you know, people were like, hey, we should lift weights to get stronger. And so that was a new <laughs> kid. And, and nutrition, you know, hey, we should eat healthy. And so sports psychology is kind of still the new kid on the block. And so it's, there's like, a blank sheet for you, you know, to kind of go. And now it's like obviously getting more and more real. And like a lot of, almost all teams have a full-time staff, um, at least one person, but most of them have multiple people um, on their mental skills staff. But it's, it's, I think the nuance of it all, right? Because 
people are still like, I mean, I know the game's mental. And, like, it's so interesting if you just sit in on any meeting with any performance team. Like, doesn't even have to be pro baseball. Somehow, some way, it's going to be like, you just need to be confident out there. You just need to be motivated or just relax. Like, some aspect of what we're coaching is mental. But we're just saying these things. We're not actually doing anything about it. And so that was the coolest part. Like, I was just observing a lot, right, in my internship. Like, that's what you do a lot is just observe and hear and take notes and, and you know, give your feedback kind of on the backside of things and, and when people aren't really there in the beginning. And it was a lot of just, like, people are mentioning this, but what are we doing about it? You know, like, he's telling this pitcher to relax. Does he know, one, what relax means? Does he know how to relax? And should he actually be relaxing right now? You know, like if it's game seven of the world series, I'm not telling my pitcher to relax because this isn't a moment to relax. This is a moment to maybe control our breathing. Like maybe that's something we can focus on. And so it's, it was a lot of like educating and finding those opportunities and, and also making sure we're not just saying the what's like what we need to do, but also trying to teach how and why we're doing it. That's a huge part of our job. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, with it yeah. being the new um, kind of kid on the block, do you find it difficult for there to be, like, positions that are open, or do you find yourself having to kind of create a position within certain teams or, like, maybe other people <laughs> within your field doing that? Yeah, I love that question. Absolutely. Um, because it's not like a lawyer or a doctor. You don't just get online and there's a million opportunities, right? You can't go on Indeed and find mental skills coach. Like, uh, like honestly, if you're listening to this, try it. It's really interesting. Like, there's like, like it's like strength coaches with a mental strength. And I'm like, what is this? Like, what is this position? And so it's, it's, it's really, it really was difficult. Um, and that's why I encourage everybody. I think they're more, and I think they're growing and more and more opportunities are coming. Like we had an internship last year with the Phillies and a year and the year before that. And, you know, our team was technically three years ago, the Phillies had one person and right now we have four. So in like three years we've had, we went from one to four, which is huge. And I know a lot of the other, um, organizations, especially in baseball, it's growing. So, but interesting, interestingly enough, my first position, my first internship with the Pirates, I pretty much created it because, fun fact, I actually did the interview, and it was for a spring training position, which spring training for the major league team is about a month long. With with minor league and major league, it's about two months long, but this was for big league spring training, and I interviewed, and they were like, you know, we really like you, we're interested, but they didn't know where to house me because I was a female, and yeah. there was like, it's Pirate City, and so all the coaches, all the staff, all everybody lives at Pirate City. And they're like, we don't really know what, what to do. do. And yeah. so they ended up actually hiring a male for that position. But then I guess they went back. I don't know all the details, but somehow, some way, they called back, and they're like, look, we know, like, we can't have you for spring training, but we want to bring you down after. And so I ended up staying the entire um, minor league season as soon as spring training was over. And then, like, I ended up housing off campus, like, they put me in like a, like a fully furnished condo, um, right down the road, but it was so interesting, but it was basically like creating that because that wasn't a position that I had originally called for. And so I tell people a lot who are trying to get in this field, like walk into a high school, walk into a college, talk to a college coach that you have a relationship with or pro team that you have a relationship with and see, like, it's definitely a need and it's almost a way of trying to get them to be willing to fill that spot and work on that because I cannot tell you how many messages I get on a daily basis of people asking me, like, my kids aren't motivated. What do I do? And I'm like, this is my job. I get paid to do this. I can't just sit here and send you, you know, a paragraph of information. And so um, I think people want it. And it's a matter of making it 
a priority for them. And like, you know, this is a necessity for your players to be successful. So are you willing to, you know, pay for the money, spend the time, hire someone to actually come in and do it? Or are you just going to, you know, show a few motivational quotes and not be it? Um, and that's a big thing with like sports psych is, I tell my players a lot, like, don't don't get confused with, like, motivation, like, instant motivation and, like, long-term mental skills, right? Because, like, yes, every now and then we need to get, like, fired up and motivated, and that's, like, the fun stuff and the, like, rah rah re stuff, but the bottom line is, like, if your foundation isn't solid, like, that rah rah is going to last literally 30 seconds, you know, which is sometimes good. Get your adrenaline going and your endorphins running before the game, but, like, during the game when the game's on the line like you can't go to your phone and watch some cool inspirational video you know (laughs) you have to be able to pull that from within you and that's mental skills and so it's like trying to educate coaches on that too you know and and I think pro baseball is figuring that out um and they're probably the leaders in professional sports right now just like being excited and allowing it and making it a part of the culture that's a really big piece too is you know this this can't just be something we do but at the end of the day or we meet with players who are really, really struggling or in a funk or, you know, in a rut, like they're not hitting at all. It's like, no, this is a part of the culture. Like, just like you lift weights every day, just like you're eating healthy every day, you're also working on your mental game every single day. And and this isn't a panic button. This is a way more proactive approach than reactive approach. And like, that's, that's what I focus on so much. And I learned that in my internship. And at first I didn't understand the, the like, sole purpose and why that was so important i was like no we just gotta meet with every player individually but it's like very evident that culture has to be number one before you know you can get any anything else anyone else to buy in that was actually what i was going to ask you you said that um mlb is doing well in this capacity like how are the other Mm -hmm. professional leagues doing do you have any sense yeah yeah um nfl is doing okay um nfl and nba are really good with mental health um which is is different, right? You have mental performance and you have mental health. Both are necessities, both needed very, very highly in, in demanding sports and performance. Um, but I think NFL's tried, I know a few mental skills coaches actually from baseball who did Major League Baseball and NFL, which is crazy and, yeah. and mm-hmm. insane, but awesome, you know. And so I know they're trying and working on it. Um, I think it's a little more pushback in the NFL. Um, just because it's it's a lot more of that rah rah, you know, and just like go get it and bust heads and then you're done. And whereas baseball, like, there's so much time to think that that's why I think it's so accepted. Like, because if you've ever played baseball or softball, like you know, like you like you literally fail all the time and like you're pumped about it. You know, you're pumped when you go three for ten. Um, so it's it's just a lot more common. Um, individual sports like golf and tennis, it's pretty it's pretty up there too. Um, I'd say that's probably close to baseball um hockey they're getting there i think they're interested um so hockey nfl and nba they're they're trying um but i still i still think mlb's the forefront and but i do know a couple of in nba and nfl teams who have mental skills coaches on staff and a lot of people contract people out too and so i don't have all like i don't know any about a lot of that but a lot of people just bring people in like you know three or four times a year to do mental skills, um, but there are a few teams who have people fully staffed. Yeah. You mentioned that you have a staff of four um, on your team. Yeah. Are you guys all mental skills coach, or is there different roles for each of you, or how do you coordinate care for your pay, or for the athletes, I guess? Yeah, great question. Um, yeah, so there's four of us. So it's my boss, myself, 
Um, we had an intern last year, and we just brought her on full-time, and then we have a part-time mental skills coach in the Dominican Republic. Um, so he kind of has his own practice there and does part-time work with us. So, But we are we are all mental skills coaches. Um, we all actually do have the same education. We all have our master's in, in some type of sports psychology. Um, I think Jeff and I have master's of science, and I think Francis has master's of education, um, but it's still all the same concentrations of sports psych and motor behavior. Um, Francis has a little bit more on the um, counseling side of things. Um, her, since her master's in education, I think she has um, a licensed mental health counselor, LMHC, I believe is what it's called. I, that may not be 100% correct. So she has a little bit more on the um, clinical side of things too, um, being able to just make sure we're taking care of them and, and noticing if there is some clinical thing going on instead of just a performance thing. Okay, cool. So yeah. I, I think you kind of touched on it, but I'm sure you get asked all the time about how you got to the position you are, but I imagine it's just like you're saying, you know, trying to make your own opportunities, make, you know, knock down mm-hmm. doors and get to know people. But um, is it sort of a have to to go to graduate school as well? Yeah. Okay. So people ask this all the time too. You know, I, I don't think there's no like easy way in. Like I didn't know anybody in, in the baseball world. Like I, it's, it's do good work and work your tail off and then get your foot in the door. I also say, like, as a female, I think it's harder to get in the door. But I think once you're in, especially in this role, it can actually be a huge advantage um, because I know, you know, guys will open up way faster to me than they would uh, a male mental skills coach or a male coach. You know, just the man box of, like, like no crying, no whining, no no feelings, no sadness at all, you know, and it's like, no lost hope at all. Like I got to be on all the time and they can come in my office and ball their eyes out if they want to, you know, it doesn't happen a lot, but it does happen. And, and they know that's like a judgment free zone, but yeah, I think you definitely have to have your master's degree. Um, I know there are a few like former players who are transitioning into a mental skills coach and huh. some of them don't have their master's and some of them are working on getting their master's. Um, okay. I technically, um, I think so this is super interesting too in so the Association of Applied Sports Psychology is kind of the standard um, in the sports psychology world and like I am a CMPC which is a certified mental performance coach and that's that's pretty much the only real certification we have um, in the field but not everybody has to have that in order to work in baseball we're trying to make it a more prominent thing and like you know have have some depth and some hold and power into that certification but like Right now, like, my boss doesn't have it. You know, the head Yankees guy doesn't have it. Um, Like, the the people who have been in the field for a long time don't have it. And it's because you don't necessarily have to have it. But I I think it's almost impossible, unless you were a former player, that you get a job in mental skills without having your master's degree in some kind of sports psychology or motor behavior entity. That makes sense. I mean, it it also feels like there's probably so much to learn that I don't – you know, see even how you could do it without spending that time, like, dedicated to growing your knowledge base. For sure. And, like, I mean, I, I was a former athlete, and there's stuff in here I'm like, I've never thought about it or heard of this or even would have known to do this. You know, now it makes, like, you're, you're like, that was the coolest part of grad school. Like, you're sitting in class, you're like, oh, my gosh. Like, if I would have freaking known this, if I could have done that, <laughs> if I would have tried this, like, who knows what would have happened. And so... Even though, like, that's what I'm saying, like, even though you're an athlete, you know, everyone's like, oh, I can do sports psychology. It's like, there's so much more that goes into it. And, and like I said, like, the how and the why is what you learn in grad school. Like, everybody knows you should be confident. You want to be motivated. You want to, if you enjoy it, you play better. 
but like, do you know how to affect those? Do you know? And, and the hardest part is it's different for everybody, right? What, what fires somebody else up could like ruin somebody else, you know, like, and, and that's, that's the most challenging part of our job is, is getting to know the person before the athlete. That way we know like what skills and different strategies and techniques that could potentially work for that person and their personality rather than just throwing things at them and hoping it sticks. Okay. Um, which I think is a, is a big part that's commonly overlooked. Like a huge part of my job is just getting to know these people, like not these players, like getting to know them as people. Who, what's your mom and dad like? What's your upbringing like? Who's your siblings? Like, do you have a girlfriend? Do you have a like spouse? Like what, what's going on in your life? You know, like, because if we don't know that, then what are we doing? Like if we're only concerned with their baseball career, typically everything else is what's impacting their baseball career. So it's important that we really take the holistic approach on all of the guys. Um, have any guys that like push back on say they don't need this kind of thing or like is it like required or is it just more like you know if you feel that you need it you can go yeah great question um there's always going to be pushback you know there's always going to be people who are like "Eh, I'm good like I'm pretty mentally tough um and and a lot of times that's fine and um one of the best lessons I ever learned in grad school was go with the goers like, I cannot force mental skills on you. It could actually do damage if I do force it. Um, so it's a lot of me kind of trusting the process. Again, like, we don't have to talk sports. Like, just tell me about you. Who are you? Where did you come from? Like, I don't know if anybody else in our organization has done this, so I'm going to make sure you know that you have someone here who cares about who you are as a person. Um, and then I've seen it happen time and time again. You know, you just get to know them as a person, and, you know, they're kind of standoffish on the mental skills aspect, but then – all of a sudden their buddy is like, oh yeah, I gotta go talk to Hannah. And he's like, Hannah, like, what do you gotta, and he's like, yeah, yeah, we're doing this. And then they're like, what? You know, they're like, just like a head tilt, like a little puppy almost. They're like, well, what are you guys working on? Like, what are you talking about? You know? And then it just keeps that interest. And so it's, I don't force a lot of things like at all. But the one thing that I think is pretty important is with our minor league guys, we, they all meet with one of our four staff members one time a month minimum. Um, whether they are playing great or playing horribly, um, just because going back to that proactive versus reactive, right? I don't, I don't want to not talk to you all season, and then the end of the season you're struggling, and then we have to like figure out, you know, it's like SOS. What's our plan? We got to figure out something in the next two weeks, or this is, or, or I could get released. Um, and so it's like I'm going to check in every time I come to the affiliate. I'm going to check in with all of the guys that I'm designated to meet with. Um, and sometimes those conversations are three minutes. They're like, Hey, I'm doing great. And the, the things we're talking about last time are working, routines are working. Um, or, or all of a sudden it becomes a 45 minute conversation that I didn't even know. The coaches didn't even know. Nobody even knew, you know? And so that's, that's the importance. So while they're minor league players, we do, um, we do have a protocol of meeting with them one time a month minimum. And, and we have an open door policy. They can call text, walk in the door as much as they possibly want. Um, and we have a few of those too. So, but. And the young ages, we just want to instill, like, this is you don't just come to Hannah when things are going really wrong. Um, and, and that's the important part, right, of making it part of the culture is, oh, yeah, I'm going to see Hannah. You're next. You know, it's like, it's not like, oh, God, what's wrong with you? You know, it's right. like everybody does it. And, and there's no stigma to it. And that, that's, again, that's kind of the fun part of that, that a mental skills coach gets to do is we're solely working on the on-field performance stuff, the, the confidence, motivation, enjoyment, all that, and versus the you know, the depression or anxiety or eating disorders or suicidality and, and the heavier stuff. Um, but we're still trying to kind of destigmatize what a mental skills coach is because there's still, you know, old school guys walking around like, oh, he's crazy. Go talk to Hannah, you know, and 
and I kind of snap at him every time. I'm like, hey, like, you know that's not how we roll. And, like, even, even like, people jokingly being like, oh, this guy so-and-so needs to come talk to you, you know, it's, and, and they need to come to therapy. And I'm like, you know this isn't therapy. Like, and you know that makes me mad. And so they, they, they know. And, and it's, again, it's kind of like a joking way of educating them on what this is and, and trying to constantly destigmatize like, what mental skills are and make it a norm. Like, no, I need to go to Hannah. The more I go to Hannah, the better I'm going to get. Just, like, the more I go to the weight room, the more I condition, the more I go see my hitting coach or my pitching coach, like, the better I'm going to get. And so really trying to create that culture around it all. Yeah, I think, you know, what you said about you building those relationships, and even if you don't have, like, or they're, they're not identifying a need, but you still have those, like, check-in meetings, that's probably hugely important. And we do um, – I work in men's professional lacrosse and, you know, from the very get-go, like in training camp, you know, we sort of like, here's my cell phone, here's this, there's that. Like we try and really build these strong relationships so that they come to us early when something's kind of nagging. And, you know, because I think the culture used to be, oh, I'm scared they're going to tell me something's wrong with me mm-hmm. and she's going to take mm-hmm. me out, you know? And mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. like, no, I just, like, we want to keep you in there. So let's work on all the things that we can do to keep you healthy because everybody has some stuff, you know? So mm-hmm. let's, like, optimize you and, you know, on the physical side. But it's, yeah. you know, it's, but I do think there is a little advantage as a woman. And I've certainly had, you know, through my training and stuff, some of those same sort of, oh, I don't know where you're going to change. I don't know where we're going to put you. <laughs> but, there, yeah. you know, but there's some, like, real advantages at the end of the day and how people do build relationships with you and trust you and tell you things and text you a little bit more quickly because they're not thinking, oh, you know, she's going to think I'm, like, not tough or, you know, whatever it might be. No doubt. No, I, I, I absolutely agree. And there are definitely the figuring out the female aspects. Like, I don't go into the clubhouse at all. You know, that's their space. And... And I, but I am right outside it, you know, mm-hmm. so they know, they see me as soon as they walk in, they see me as soon as they walk out and, and it's like giving them their space. And, and I always tell like people ask all the time, you know, what's it like being a woman in a male field? And I always say like, it is their world. Like it is baseball is a male world. And so it's, it's not necessarily like me going in and like changing the world. It's me adapting to their world. Like, and you know, when I first got there, it was kind of funny. A lot of the old school coaches, you know, would like get on to guys about cursing in front of me. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm trying to like, first of all, I cuss like a sailor. It's actually a miracle. I haven't said one word on here, but I try really hard when I'm on podcasts to be appropriate. Um, but, um, like it, it's like with them in the room, if they can't be authentically them, if they can't curse and dip and do whatever disgusting thing that they want to do in front of me, then they can't be authentically them. And they automatically are feeling judged. They automatically feel like they have to be on their best behavior. And that's not what I want. Like that, that to me affects the key role of what I am. And that's relationship building and trust. Like I want them to come in in their true form, regardless of how atrocious or silly or outrageous it is. I want them to come in and be comfortable in that. And I actually had a player, um, I was there, I just finished my second season in my first season. I was here for about six months and then he came up and he was like, uh, basically like, I didn't want to come talk to you. And I'm like, that's okay. And he was like, I thought my cursing would offend you. And I, you know, I said something along the lines of, yeah, get the F out of my office, you know, or something mm-hmm. like, like, and like, just because they're trying to figure it out. And, and once they realize that they can be authentically them and they will not be judged. And what we talk about doesn't leave the room. And I'm literally only here to support them and not expect anything from them. It's amazing like what that almost big sister mom role becomes because 
like even their direct support system can't doesn't know how to support them like nobody knows what they go through on a daily basis especially these minor league guys like it's atrocious it's hard it's brutal work and and because I'm there I'm in it like they don't have to explain everything I'm just sitting there like I can't imagine what you're going through right now like I can because I'm here and I see it but I'm not doing it and so it's and I'm not expecting anything you know they have to provide a lot of them have families a lot of them have young children and and like so they feel weird like talking about things with their significant others you know and so it's a lot of like how do I handle this what do I do like this is stressing me out but I don't want to tell my family because they'll think that my career is going up in flames you know and it's it's really that sound support system who is there on a daily basis and knows what they're going through and isn't going to judge them for anything they say and so it's it's a lot of adjusting to their world and and I have to be okay with that you know there's there's, I know some females and I know some males who have come into the baseball world who it's very uncomfortable for them. I mean, it's, it's intense. Like it's, it's old school intense. Like it's, it's, there's a lot of things that go on in the baseball world that are definitely not okay in the real world, you know? Um, but, and you have to kind of decide and draw those lines for yourself and, and figure out, you know, am I going to take offense to these things or am I going to kind of take this as a teaching moment for them and, and still love them and be there for them and be their support system because, Overall, that's your number one job is, is to be there for them and, and support them from a mental standpoint. Right. I would imagine each of your sessions and in, in every day is, is different with each athlete and tailoring to what each athlete needs, like you said, as a person. But what are you mm-hmm. mainly focusing on on the guys that are in rehab? What do those sessions typically entail or look like? Yeah, so rehab in baseball you know, whether it's two weeks or two years, um, it's tough because they're pulled away from their affiliate. So our affiliates are all over. You know, we have we have affiliates in Pennsylvania, in New Jersey, in Florida, in the Dominican Republic, like all over. So when you're injured and injured bad enough to where you have to come back to our Clearwater, our spring training, like it's you're pulled away from your team. So the conversations are very, very much around how are you doing? Um, like, and I always laughingly say, are you going crazy down here? You know, because that's like the first thing that happens is because they're thrown out of their routine. Right. Um, sometimes it's just for short stint and sometimes it's for two years, you know, that they have to be in clear water recovering from Tommy John before they can go back into a game. Yeah. Um, and so it's really checking in. It's making sure it's honestly just checking in like on a pretty regular basis of like, how are you doing? And like, they're pretty open. Like I'm not doing good right now, or I'm doing really well right now, or I'm kind of borderline right now. And it's honestly making sure that they still feel a part of the team because they are so excluded when they're put into rehab. And, and, you know, we try to do a really good job of that as an organization as a whole, like our athletic training staff tries to keep them integrated as much as they can. And strength and conditioning, they go out and, and watch the teams run and, and work out and stretch and they do as much as they physically are able to. Um, but a big part of that is, is the mental, like, let's talk about it. Like, how are you feeling right now? If you're not feeling well, let's talk about that. And um, one of my coolest exercises I did, we had, um, we had like, four or five guys have Tommy John this year. And so I drew a little graph, like a line, just an X and a Y axis. And I was like, draw, draw a line of how you think this rehab's going to go. You know, like squigglies, ups and downs, and and I kind of wrote a line that was like a slow, steady progress up, and I was like, that's that's what most people think. Like, what do you actually think it's going to look like? And so we still have that like up in my whiteboard, um, in my office, and just to remind them, like, there's going to be higher highs than you could ever imagine in rehab, and there's going to be lower lows than you are going to be ready for. 
Um, but if we can talk about that before they go through it, before they experience it, at least they're going to be a little bit more aware of it and more willing to talk about it. Like, you know, versus like the super positive poly guy all the time. And then one day he comes in and he's like the lowest low anybody could be at because it's been like this fake, like everything's okay. Right. And like, I'm like, I, I try to read through that. And, and so a lot of it is really just checking in. Like, how are you really doing? Like, has anybody asked you how you're doing lately? You know, besides your parents and your spouse and, and like, have you actually told them anything besides I'm doing good? You know? And if they're like, I'm good. I'm like, what does good mean? And really trying to give them a sense of purpose, a sense of they're still a part of this team and we still care about you. And we still really want to check in on how you're doing. Um, and that goes along with like, tell me, you know, tell me where you're at physically. Tell me where you are through your rehab. Are you feeling confident about it? Are you not feeling confident about it? Have you had any setbacks lately? You know, stuff like that, like the X, Y's and Z's, but uh, most of it and all stems from just asking them how they are. Like, it's amazing what people will say when they feel like you are genuinely asking them how they are. And I think that's like the most important part I can do as a mental skills coach when they're going to rehab, because I don't know how they are. And if, if, if I haven't built that trust with them, they're not going to tell me. And so that goes back to, I hope I built a relationship with them before they get hurt, you know, and, and if not, then we've got some, some catching up to do. And, and, but, um, yeah, that's, that's, it sounds so simple, but like, you'd be amazed at the conversations that come after that question, you know? So what about, um, the one thing that we see, um, after people go through a bigger surgery is, that period before they're about to return, that's where they start to have like a lot of worries about their performance and, or, you know, the, the fear of re-injury, um, mm-hmm. but certainly performance and whether or not they're still going to be at the same skill level. Um, what do you mm-hmm. sort of implement at that time? Love that. Um, so I agree completely that the time, like right before you're ready to go is probably the hardest time. And, and like, we see that with throwing, right? Like guys are like, I feel fine, but I still have four months, you know, and, and, and they want to run through a wall and you have to like help them <laughs> stay back sometimes or, or they start getting nervous. So I do a lot of, um, almost bringing them back to a competitive mindset. Like, okay, you're about to start competing. Like you've been through rehab, you've been in a rehab mindset. Let's figure out how to get you back into a competitive mindset. And so we do like a lot of imagery. We can watch film, you know, and, and kind of start to get those neurons firing in their brain as if they were actually competing again and almost like learning how to compete again and, and throw again, because like, especially with the guys who have been out a long time, like they virtually learned how to throw again with a new arm or new elbow, shoulder, whatever surgery they had. And so it's like, let's learn how to compete with this new arm um, and kind of putting that fun spin on it. But also like, hopefully we've been talking about it throughout the entire course of their rehab that, it doesn't come down to, like, I've never heard you say you're fearful of an injury until you're about to step on the mound for the first time tomorrow, you know? And, and that's why we have those check-ins is it, if they are fearful of re-injury, that comes up pretty early if someone's talking to them, you know? Um, and, and, like, they're starting to – and, like, sometimes they're like, no, my arm feels better than it's felt in two years, you know? Um, so I think a large part is making sure that those conversations are happening before it gets down to the nitty-gritty. Uh, but then once it does, it's, it's kind of, we talk a lot about rehab, um, I- imagery and creating that com- competitive mindset. But then we also talk about trusting their arm too. There's a lot of training your trust 
and and do you trust the doctor that did your surgery like going back to that do you trust the athletic trainers who have spent hours and hours and hours working on you and and the rehab coordinators and and do you trust you like do you trust your ability to come back and you know a lot of them are like yes and a lot of them are like "Eh, I don't know you know and so it's a lot of a lot of talking and conversations around trusting their shoulder again and their arm again because most of the fear of re-injury is because they don't trust it and then you know you can have a really cool conversation around if you don't trust it and you know you're kind of babying it you potentially could injure something else right by overcompensating on somewhere else in the body and and so it's a lot of conversation I think most of it probably comes down to teaching the competitive mindset again and teaching them to trust this new body and and also like honestly enjoying it um because it can be really scary coming back from rehab um, and so helping them to like literally practice smiling on the mound and practice like enjoying this and like you haven't yeah. gotten to throw on a mound in a year and a half like how freaking awesome is this you know and, like just being stoked for them and like being their number one fan there too and because they're their fan and their biggest critic and usually that's kind of when the critic is bigger and so it's helping them to not just stay focused on all of the things that could go wrong but also the things that could go right so a really cool exercise is for every negative thing they say in the room, they're like, well, what if this happens? And I'm like, tell me something positive that could happen. So it's like training their brain to those negative thoughts, those, those scared thoughts of re-injury are so natural, right? And, and affirming that too with them. Again, like you know, those thoughts are normal. Like fear of re-injury is 100% normal. So what could happen if you didn't get re-injured? Like maybe you could hit a higher mile per hour. Maybe you could have a whole new pitch. Maybe you come back a better pitcher than you were before. Um, we have a lot of guys who are like, I'm going to like, that's the first thing they tell me after they get surgery is like, I'm going to be better than I was before I even had this surgery, you know? And, and so not being, so I talk about this a lot, not being like over positive because I do think like to some extent that gets fake and we have, you know, we have a BS meter in our brains when, okay, this is stupid. I'm not motivated by rainbows and unicorns. Um, but, but being realistic and trying to be a little bit optimistic with that realism. So like, you don't have to be, you don't have to be super positive, but what if like your surgery was successful, all of your athletic trainers have said your rehab has been successful. They say you are exactly where you want to be. What if, what if you go out there and you absolutely crush it? What if you go out there and you feel amazing? What if you go out there and you have a new pitch, you know, almost just like being real with them, but with a little bit of optimism instead of that little bit of pessimism that sneaks in there and can kind of attack them and make that, make that one timid thought into another thought, into another, and then it's that ripple effect downward. So I say, that's what I would say. I would say competitive mindset, trusting yourself, and then helping them balance the negative thoughts with the realistic positive thoughts is the most important part when they're coming back to performance. Um, with, like you were saying, you know, when you were in college, you wish like you knew some things, you know, that obviously you learned uh, during grad school. And there's plenty mm-hmm. of programs that obviously um, either don't feel that it is like a monetary necessity to have, um, have your kind of position, like, what would you, like, suggest to, um, those, uh, those teams and stuff like that, that they could, um, you know, work on with their, their students, you know, or work, work on with their athletes? Yeah, so, like, you're saying, like, the actual coaches, like, what should the coaches work on with the athletes? Yeah, coaches or even, like, athletic trainers, physical therapists, you know, just, um, if they can't have a position such as yours, yeah, what can they be doing to kind of, um, help promote that same kind of mindset. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one, read a sports psychology book, like literally like get a textbook. If you guys, if you, if you don't, if, if the head coach is like, we can't afford 
this, like somebody on staff needs to be reading a sports psychology textbook, like not, not a motivational book, you know, like, again, not, not like Googling motivational videos and showing one a day, like read a sports psychology book, like figure out, figure out how to tell somebody how to relax. Like maybe it's even coming up with like the three things that you think your team needs the most mentally and doing some research on that. Um, I mean, I, again, I don't think that's super adequate, but doing that and then also just, again, checking in on your players. Um, I said this at a conference I was at a couple weeks ago that every player on a team should have an assigned coach. So whether you're a softball team of 20 players or a football team of 80 players, divide your coaches with each player. And so, you know, if there's three softball coaches, like there's seven players per coach. And that coach checks in on all seven of those players once a week. Hey, how are you? Good. No, no, like, how are you? Like, how's school going? Just check in on them because it's the kids and the players who go through the cracks that nobody's checked on in a month, in two months, in three months, the whole season that potentially could have the nervous breakdowns, that could have the, the, you know, even cause an injury, like, because they're more stressed or they don't think the coach cares about them. And, and not just how are you doing in the softball world or whatever sport world, but how are you doing in life? How's school going? Like, I remember, like, I didn't have that playing. Like, I did not have that. We had an awesome assistant coach, and she would kind of check in on everybody, but, like, it wasn't, like, a meaningful thing. Like, it wasn't, there wasn't necessarily purpose behind it, but I think if you, I think that's the best thing you can do. Like, read as much as you can about sports psychology, and then also just divide and conquer and make sure you are checking in on every single one of your players. Like, and, and if you're, same with your, as an athletic trainer, like, I know our athletic training staff is super busy, incredibly busy, right? We had a lot of rehab guys, but like, do you take the time to just check in? How are you? How's everything going? How do you feel like your rehab is going? Do you feel like you're behind? Do you feel like you're ahead? Just to get a better sense, because you may think they're totally fine, and they may not be. And the more times you ask, the more times that, that gives them a chance to actually be honest with you. So that's a, that's a really good question, and I think that would be the best advice I could give to to coaches and, and staff, support staff, is just make sure you're checking in on your players on a regular basis and not just a, how you doing, good, all right, see you later, you know, like an actual meaningful conversation, even if it's 15 minutes before practice, like, hey, come talk to me for a minute and just kind of make it a normal thing, make that a normal thing. We're going to do little check-ins. We're going to make sure everybody's doing all right. And if you're not, we want to know about it um, because okay. we want to help and support you in any way we can. So would you say, like, Obviously, a lot of the, um, you know, athletes who are more recreational or college, they're not going to have the access to someone like you. Um, do you ever recommend uh, specific books to athletes that you find is helpful for them as they recover from something? Um, yeah. So I usually um, ask, you know, what Well, you're obviously specific... going to write your book, but that's not out yet. Yeah. So. I'm going to write hopefully two or three books eventually. Okay. Um, but so, until um, then. <laughs> yeah until then um I so I always ask like people are like I want to read a book I'm and I'm, you know ask what what type of book but I, the champion's mind is a really good um it's almost the way I describe it is a textbook for sports psychology but in a book form so okay. it's, it's like a lot of cool stories fun stories but um can be pretty solid um on, on the mental game I like that one um I am reading Atomic Habits right now by James Clear and it's awesome Say it again. Um, what is it called? Um, Atomic Habits. Okay. 
Yeah, by James Clear. It, that's a really good one. Okay. Um, and I would just be warned on the, like, motivational books. Like, again, like, yeah. the, like, self-help books. Like, some of those are good, but just some of them are just, like, quick fixes. And, and mental skills done properly is not a quick fix. You know, it's just, like, you don't go to the weight room one time and all of a sudden you're the strongest <laughs> person on the team. Sure. Right? And, like, it's so funny. And, like, you like, you don't run one time and then go run a marathon, right? But, like, people think, oh, yeah, I read this awesome book. Like, I am so mentally tough. And it's like, no, just like physical skills, you have to practice mental skills. You have to read about it. You have to figure out what it, what ways work for you. And then you have to practice it like crazy. And then you can maybe implement it in a game. And then, oh, yeah, you have to remember to implement it in a game, which is the hardest part. When all the pressure's on the line and your heart's pounding and crowd's yelling, the, and, and the last thing you want to think about is controlling your breathing, but that's the first thing you should think about. And so it's it's all about like creating that awareness piece. And, and I think that's that's why books and apps and mindfulness practices are good, um, a good starting place because you have to start creating that awareness. But then the hard part is actually implementing it. And a lot of times when I'm working with individual clients, I'm like, hey, you got to go practice this. And you may forget the first time, and that's okay, but try it the second time, try it the third time, try it the fourth time, because a lot of times you just go out there and you're like, shoot, I forgot to do it. And, like, because it is hard, it's hard to train your mind to do that and, and to learn how to control your mind and your focus and, and everything you want. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, all that stuff is really helpful. I've We've kept you on for longer than I um, promised. So. No, you're good. <laughs> I love it. Um, so we really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. I certainly um, learned a great deal, and I know others will. Yeah, awesome. thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Of course. Yeah, yeah, thank you guys for having me. Cool, of course, and we will um, look out for your future book. Just keep us posted. Okay, <laughs> I will definitely send you a copy when that gets out in the next five to ten years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> look forward to it. All right, take care, okay, and then guys. let me know okay. if you need a thing. All right, bye. Okay, perfect. Thanks. So big thanks to Hannah. I really appreciated having her on and really learned a lot and enjoyed that immensely. Um, so as always, I'm going to put up the transcript as well as some links and some helpful documents on the website, cloganmd.com. Thanks and have a great day.